Hi, friends, and welcome back to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as you know we love to call it, it's the show that helps you grow. Saddleback, um, just a reminder that Doable Discipleship is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts, so make sure you go to saddleback.com slash podcasts to uh, see latest episodes and information from all of our um, podcasts through the church. Today, uh, I am honored and excited to have my friend Eric Munyamana on this episode to talk about reconciliation, talk about faith. And he has uh, he has very um, specific and important and impactful um, examples of this. So I'm really excited. Eric, thank you so much for being here today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. <laughs> Looking forward to the conversation. Yes, thank me, you. <laughs> me too, very much. So why don't we get just, just get started? Eric, could you share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself, about your upbringing, and what you've been doing with your time at Saddleback? Yeah, uh, I'm Eric Munyemana, and I'm a Rwandan. I'm from Africa in Rwanda, uh, currently uh, based in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a husband of one amazing woman, my wife, Bonita, <laughs> and the father of four lovely daughters. Um, yeah, so I grew up uh, in Burundi, which is south of Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a result of some of the things we discussed. Yep. She was in Rwanda and ended up in exile, our parents and many other Rwandans. And then, uh, yeah, here I am now, uh, by God's grace, serving um, uh, his purpose for my life through Sarobak Church. And uh, what I've been doing uh, with Sarobak is something that started 17 years ago. My involvement with Saddleback Church wow. started 17 years ago uh, when uh, Saddleback Church uh, launched um, a, a big and impactful um, mission outreach uh, in Rwanda, a nationwide movement of equipping and mobilizing churches mm-hmm. uh, to and the church members to embrace a lifestyle of the five purposes of worship, of, of uh, discipleship, of ministry, of uh, evangelism, and uh, um, and fellowship, and uh, even making impact in their communities, uh, you know, holistic transformation of communities by slaying the giants through pity and peace. Yeah. So that's been my involvement. And so started with Rwanda. And now I'm doing uh, that work of coordinating Saddleback mission efforts across the continent of Africa, across all the 55 countries of Africa. And basically it's uh, a role of uh, being an ambassador yeah. and, uh, and uh, a door openers for purpose driven and peace to impact as many lives as possible by mobilizing every member to living every day, every place, as missionaries and slaying the giant to make our Lord Jesus love, mercy, and power visible, impactful, and relevant to people. Yeah, so Saddleback has been involved uh, with the country of Rwanda for a long time in working with the government and working with all the churches there to bring what was uh, called the peace plan there. And and the purpose of that, peace was an acronym for promote, uh, or, or, 
planting churches that promote reconciliation, uh, equip servant leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick, and educate the next generation. And so Eric has been an integral part of not just those, um, uh, of not just that strategy in Rwanda, but then also taking that and helping uh, churches and governments from other countries who have seen what has happened in Rwanda and say, we want to be a part of that. And that, that's been that's been just an amazing effort. So really, it's, it's been fascinating to see how you guys have been doing that. Now, I, I have you on today, and you hinted a little bit at it before, because um, I mentioned in the opening that, that this episode was really going to be about reconciliation and forgiveness. So Eric, could you, for those of you who who are listening who may not know much or anything about the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda, could you give an overview of this tragedy? What happened? What was going on? What is the background of what we're talking about today? Yeah. Uh, so the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda uh, in 1994 is a, uh, it's a distant, vicious result of uh, a very divisive policy by the colonial masters of, uh, of Rwanda, um, uh, divide and rule. And then they, so during those times of colonization, uh, they favored one of the three uh, socioeconomic groups. Rwandans were grouped into... Uh, uh, organized into social economic groups. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know that the you know the colonialists and others turned this into ethnical issues. So the Tutsi, the Hutus, and the Twa. So the colonialists favored this group uh, called the, the Tutsi and gave them leadership and education opportunities and did not do that for the rest. And eventually, as uh, Africans were seeking, many African countries and leaders were seeking independence. Uh, so the Tutsis were, you know, also really, as since they were the leaders, they were also trying to seek that independence from the colonialists, which the colonialists didn't like. Mm-hmm. And so what followed is they now, you know, started working uh, with the, the Hutus and tried to even raise the Hutus against the Tutsis and gave them power. And uh, unfortunately, that uh, led to a... Hutu led the government, and eventually we got the independence in 1962. But the post-independent government, unfortunately, carried on that divisive policy, divide and rule policy. One, it resulted in the violence and the killings that, kill, you know, more than thousands of people were killed of Tutsi, mm. and the hundreds of thousands ended up in exile in the neighboring countries. And that's how the Rwandan diaspora came to be. And unfortunately, without even bringing back the Tutsis, and uh, even those who stayed in the country, now were like were were persecuted and considered like a second-class category of citizen. And then there were also uh, continuous killings, systematic killings, and creating new waves of refugees. So it went on and on and on. Um, uh, and that led to a point where um, these uh, exiled um, uh, Rwandans, uh, predominantly the Tutsis, they were seeking to go back home because they were sick and tired of living in exile, eventually, mm-hmm. seeking to be repatriated and peacefully and all that to no avail. So the government then 
uh, refused and continue even to uh, persecute them. That's where when they said enough is enough, October 1990, they organized themselves and uh, launched a war uh, you know, to go back home and to stop these killings and to restore you know, a government that unites people. And uh, that's 1990. Mm-hmm. And then during that war, now that current that government now we un, was under pressure to negotiate for repatriation mm-hmm. and while the negotiations were going on um uh, that, that divisive genocidal government eventually said you know let's find a final solution to the tutsi issue mm-hmm. which means let's finish all of them now they started planning massive killings and they were very organized and very prepared, waiting just for a trigger for that big sign. Hmm. And that big sign came in April 1994 when uh, the plane that was carrying the president at that time from Tanzania, you know, was shot down. Hmm. And then from that night, the systematic killing of Tutsi started, hatred propaganda by the media, you know, like kill them, you know, these guys don't deserve to live. Like all are led by, orchestrated by, supervised by the government and the militia they, they trained. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the result of a government that is, uh, is using its infrastructure and its resources to kill its people, you, that the result is within just a span of three months, more than one million mm. Rwandans majority predominantly Tutsi were killed just in the span of a hundred days. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what happened. And so eventually uh, that uh, group that was fighting, it's called the RPF Rwanda Patriotic Front, the Rwandan in exile that organized themselves in that force to go back home, they eventually stopped that genocide. And, uh, and then the country was uh, liberated and the peace was restored from July 1994, so within a hundred days, mm. uh, so that's what happened uh, with the genocide. Thank you for sharing about that. And it's you can read the accounts of just these situations where neighbors were attacking neighbors, where people where it was just the systematic, like you said, just this, uh, just this complete oppression and destruction in this tragedy. But what is so incredible about the story of the Rwandan genocide is the lasting impact. Because something like that could have the potential to just completely break a country, just completely fragment it. It comes, different leaders or warlords come in and start to take over, and it just becomes complete fragmentation. Mm. But the story of Rwanda, if we look now in the year 2022, it's something that happened, uh, what was it, almost almost 30 years ago, 28 years ago, yeah. is that the story of, of Rwanda is now prosperous. So can you tell us a little bit about how things got from that situation in 1994 to where things are at now? And I know a big part of that was a a um, message of reconciliation that was put upon the country. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, so uh, the efforts to uh, recover, heal, rebuild, reconstruct the country and the people from the genocide, um, they happened at the like national level mm-hmm. and personal level. Yeah, let's start. Levels, at, yeah, so, so at start from level. the national level because yeah, and, and then we'll and then we'll spend the rest of the time in the conversation on the personal level. So at the national level, um, we are just blessed to have a government that has had decided to put reconciliation, unity and reconciliation among the top priorities. Yeah. So the Rwandan Patriotic Front, the group of uh, the Rwandans that stopped the genocide, top on the agenda was unity and reconciliation mm-hmm. as the imperative to rebuild Rwanda if we were to be a nation again. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons is if that was not a priority, there were going to be many, many excuses for people. Like, for example, um, this group of Rwandan who were in exile, who defeated the genocidal government, they decided, you know, not to play the winner takes it all mm-hmm. kind of, you know, card, because they had they had the entire country, everything, the resources. They could just take everything all, but they decided, you know, we're going to reconcile with uh, uh, those who persecuted us, and we're going even to share you know, leadership. So the, the Rwanda Patriotic Front formed a, broad, a government of broad-based, mm. you know, uh, including all different groups, all different political parties that are, were not really directly involved in the genocide. Mm. And uh, at some point took even minority seats in, you know, in the government as like to show you know, our agenda is not to revenge. Yeah. Our agenda is to reconcile, to rebuild, and mm. we're not going to play the divide and rule card that tear our nation apart. We need to stop this cycle of violence. Mm. So that's that's one practical way that the government at national level uh, and the leaders prove that we mean business when we say let's reconcile and live together again. And then they, there were also different tangible uh, uh, policies and instruments put in place mm-hmm. to stop and prevent. For example, several of the national symbols, like national anthem, like uh, uh, you know that were that were tainted with ethnicity, the national ID card mm-hmm. that showed you know which ethnic group uh. that was abolished. Mm. Um, there were the constitution was changed. You know, to just make sure it reflects all Rwandans, not yeah. uh, Unity and Reconciliation Commission, human rights, you know, uh, organization set up in place to make sure, you know, there's preservation, promotion of human rights, all those efforts, big budget going there. And um, maybe the last thing I can remember that helped at national level is uh, the government, Rwanda Patriotic Front at that time, uh, realized, you know, Consistent, consistent impunity of acts against crimes against the Tutsi that has been really fueled to what led to the genocide. Mm-hmm. People were killing since 1959 to 1993, yeah. killing the Tutsis, and uh, you know, and no one was punished for that. So yeah. you say, you know, let's put systems of accountability, mm. and so, uh, but this is, was going to be a unique system of justice because the perpetrators were so many number that the ordinary justice system could not have taken care of that. So genocide is something unusual, extraordinary, 
an, an and it needed an unusual way a justice system so uh, the government resorted to the pre-colonial way of justice it's called gachacha mm. traditional courts it's uh, rather than being um punitive uh it's uh, restorative yeah you know so let's sit together and uh, let's talk about what happened and let the perpetrators of course be held accountable mm. uh but also let's allow them to repent mm. to ask for forgiveness those who are authentic and genuine and uh, genuinely authentic uh and the repentant let them re- let them do so and let's give uh room for them to reconcile with the victims and so that system was help- helpful to even um try many uh, many cases yeah. that the judiciary the normal traditional courts would never have done within thousand of years so yeah i think you hit <clears throat> i think the pre- you hit on this really important point that i think a lot of people just probably if they're listening they just have a hard time wrapping their head around mm-hmm. that that it wasn't trying to get revenge it wasn't trying to be punitive that it was focused on restoration yeah on reconciliation there's so much i was thinking I, as you were talking about it i kept relating it to parenting in my head mm-hmm. where like if a kid does something wrong is something that you know you know sometimes our instinct is to punish yeah punish for punish you know but really what what i've been learning a lot right now <laughs> in parenting is it's really about trying to restore and reconcile mm. that that it's something that was broken like if you hit your sister it's instead of just focusing on the punishment it's about how do you heal that relationship yes, with your sister absolutely. because you still have to live together mm. you're still going to live together and there's a way that we can try to do this to that's focused on growth that's focused on the relationship putting relationships yes at a higher point absolutely then what our view is of justice which our view of justice is obviously marred and it's focused on getting you know um eye for an eye type of of justice and that's what and so one of the one of the biggest powers of the rwandan story is the ability of the people especially the tutsi to be able to say we want to focus on reconciliation we want to focus on restoring our country on restoring our ability to coexist yes and was- even with the hope of taking that a step farther to learn to really appreciate and love each other mm-hmm. right so i want to so we've heard a little bit about the reconciliation and and um from the governmental level and the policies and, and and just the fact that they you know a government was able to come in and say this is going to be our highest priority yes and that's just that's remarkable in and of itself especially if you're looking at it for right now in 2022 um but almost almost harder would probably be the personal level stuff mm-hmm where it was maybe it was people that you knew mm. who were committing mm-hmm. these atrocities. Mm-hmm. Can we talk just a little bit about 
how did personal reconciliation play out? Because we've seen policies, you know, from changes from the government ID cards to changing the Constitution or changing the national anthem, those type of things. But how did the personal side, how did that play out in Rwanda? Um, for You know, people are being told by their government, we, you know, reconciliation or, or reconcile, make peace, try to move, you know, move together. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that play out from a person-to-person uh, level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. Now, it all rises and falls on leadership. So when the leadership has set a tone that this is the way to go, remember the previous government and leadership, you know, mm-hmm. before the one that united people was divisive. Yeah. That's why people, many innocent, followed and they killed They you know, because the government was leading them to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, there is this leadership that's establishing an environment and is setting a tone. We're going to live together. We're mm-hmm. going to build this nation together. And uh, we're just going to be Rwandans and not look at each other from these different yeah. ethnic things. And actually, by the way, abolished even the death penalty, which was mm. allowed by the Constitution. Yeah. You know, because of those crimes, you, you know, they would have been justified, you know. Sure. But it was abolished to say, no, no, we're going just to, okay, of course we'll make sure people pay for mm. their sins, but in a way that we rebuild us, we reconcile us. We so that encouraged people at personal level to also make their efforts because the government was asking different groups of people to take different steps. For example, yeah. you're asking the perpetrators at individual level can you repent? Can you seek forgiveness? And then you are encouraging every actor in society to play their role in leading people to reconcile. Perpetrators to repent, victims to forgive. Uh, for example, s- some of the people who really uh, um, uh, took uh, you know, that opportunity were the minister of the gospel, the churches, they started reaching out. Yeah. They were already doing that, but at least that gave really a great conducive environment for the gospel of reconciliation, yeah. ministry of reconciliation, to go to prisons, for example. Mm. Prison fellowship worked hard. Many church leaders preached the gospel of reconciliation. And guess what? So many perpetrators gave their life to Christ yeah. and accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Mm. And that alone broke their heart uh, revealed what they did that was wrong, and they took steps, like some of the steps. They would reach out to the victims and ask for forgiveness. Mm. They would ask permission from the government, can we get an opportunity to meet you know, those survivors of the people we killed? Mm. And they knew them specifically. And some of the survivors didn't even know who killed my father, my mother, my sure. relatives? But this perpetrator now reaches out. By the way, I did this to your family. Mm. You did not know. I am sorry. In fact, I'll show you where I even threw the bodies mm. of the people I killed. Because that, it was so, it was really it was terrible. Yeah. They would even throw the bodies into the yeah. rivers, give them to sure. dogs to eat. And uh, so, they would even take mm. that other step. I'll show you where I, you know, I buried your people, 
and uh, maybe you can give them a decent value. So that's mm. some of the stories, the personal stories. And many of the survivors as well encountered Jesus as the personal Lord and Savior. Yeah. And they got this amazing supernatural power to forgive. Yeah. And they would even take the initiative to go in prison and ask for permission. I want to see so-and-so. He killed my family. I want to let him know I have forgiven them. And that happened. Yeah. And so many stories of... And then when released even from jail, some would go and live together. We have stories of those who married mm. each other. Wow. A family of a perpetrator and a yeah. victim you know, coming together, mm. marriage or doing business together. It's just an amazing story. Of course, there are many, many other stories. I was just giving you one of, uh, one of those. Yeah. No, I think it's... As you said, it was... It must have been an amazing opportunity for the churches oh, yes. in Rwanda at the time, and in, and even from the surrounding countries who were speaking, you know, who 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 were trying to show care, mm. to be able to say, mm. "You're hearing this message of reconciliation from the government." I got I got a powerful story of reconciliation for you about how mm. how God yeah. how about how Jesus. Yes gave his life so that you can be reconciled with God yes. and the reconciling work that God is doing at all times in the earth. Mm. Let me tell you about that. Mm. <laughs> and it seems like not, it seems like something like yeah. what happened with Rwanda and in Rwanda and how, and how it has continued to flourish um, in the 28 years since. It seems like there is so much testimony to the work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That is involved when re- re- reconciliation is at the heart of things. Yes, it's just a powerful door opening opportunity for the spirit to work and to do work in people's lives. True, that's true. I agree, mm. absolutely. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, we we have to give ultimate credit to uh, to God um, because uh, it's the Lord who has done it all. Yeah. So it's uh, what Isaiah twenty six twelve says. It's just the Lord has done it all. Uh, the level uh, of peace that we're able to achieve, and even you know, overcoming what comes with the genocide yeah. in a country. Um, um, the journey is still long. Yeah. But a lot has been accomplished. Yeah. And it's still work in progress. <laughs> but the Lord has done it all and he will continue to do that and he's really using every person in Rwanda, the government every member of society and many great friends of Rwanda including Saruback Church yeah. Saruback has been a key player in mm. this journey by the way Yeah. Mm. Mm. can you talk a little bit about the Kwebuka, and you can t- please correct my pronunciation if I'm oh, saying it. Kwebuka, you said it. I said, right. okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about this and why it's so important for the younger generation to continue to hear the message of reconciliation? Yeah, so Kwebuka uh, has several benefits. Uh, Kwebuka actually is a Kinyarwanda word that could be literally translated as to remember, mm. to remember. So there are several reasons why that is a big deal in Rwanda yeah. in terms of dealing uh, with the, all the implications of the genocide, but also preventing for the future, but also 
helping other places, not only Rwanda. By the way, Rwanda, from the lessons we are learning, we decided not only we rebuild and reconstruct and reunite, but we also help other places in the world where we are allowed to just play a role so that this will never happen again. Uh, so, Kwibuka, one, it gives, uh, first, it happens at a certain period every every year. It's annual. Mm-hmm. So, remember I told you 100 days yeah. of genocide against the Tutsi in 1994. From, um, uh, from April 7th, mm-hmm. that's when the genocide actually started, mm-hmm. and it was stopped on July fourth. Uh, that's a mm. hundred days. So, Kwibuka every year happens within that period of a okay. hundred days. And just let's take time as Rwandans and the friends of Rwanda and everyone who wants to join us yeah. locally and globally, and remember what happened. One, it's an opportunity uh, uh, because this the genocide was uh, it, it was atrocious killing, yeah. and so. Uh, the killers, they would throw the bodies of the victims in, in pit latrines, in rivers, uh, leave them for dogs to eat, all those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can imagine what it does to the survivors to, to, to just even not know where our, our loved ones. Okay, I know I lost them. That's one already bad. But now I don't even know where they are. Or they, are, they have not been given decent burial. Sure. So... During those 100 days, nationwide, uh, there are efforts to make sure um, those bodies are identified wherever mm. they are, again, with the help of perpetrators sure. and the process of reconciliation and uh, the society trying to look around. So, and then there are moments of giving a decent, proper burial mm. and to restore dignity to the victim, uh, their bodies or the skeletons. So that's one thing that happens, very important, as we heal, it's mm-hmm. part of the healing, and has helped really healing. We mourn, we grieve, we remember, we talk about it. And the other thing, it's about the young generation, yeah. which is the future. Um, so after the current population of Rwanda, about 70% were born after the genocide. Sure. Can you imagine about or around or more than 70% were born after the genocide? Yeah. So they need to be given the opportunity to learn what happened to reflect on what happened, uh, to process what happened, to get familiar with what happened during the genocide and what led to that, yeah. and and then to also participate in the reconciliation efforts, the healing efforts, but also be prepared as they are the next leaders, the, the, the future of Rwanda, so that this will never happen again. Yeah. So that is very intentional. The young, uh, the young uh, people are very much involved and they are uh, participating very heavily. Uh, and lastly, Kwibuka uh, serves as a function to fight against um, the denial and minimization of genocide, which is actually the last phase, by the way, in research, it's the last phase of genocide execution. Mm. It's like, let's deny, yeah. let's undermine. Mm-hmm. Let's minimize it. And that's why there will be many efforts by the perpetrators and their friends, by the way, they were supported. You know, Just like we have great friends of Rwanda uh, in terms of uh, helping us rebuild, reconstruct, unite, develop, there were people who helped the perpetrators 
to commit genocide uh, who are not even Rwandans. So that whole group, the locals, the international, mm-hmm. they are they are massive campaigns to deny the genocide, sure. to give it different name. By the way, even when you hear, uh, which has become common, but we have to be intentional about it, the name Rwandan genocide. Yeah. That alone, uh, I know many people are innocent when they say Rwandan genocide, but the government has been very intentional. In fact, even the UN has been part of that to help give it the proper name. Because when you say Rwandan genocide, it's like it's all Rwandans that were hunted, that sure. were being sought to be killed. Uh, it's like saying, uh, you know, when you say the genocide against the Jews during the Second World yeah. War, saying it's a European genocide. Yeah. So that's why... It dilutes what actually dilutes, was happening. Yeah, yeah, so that, you know, but it's a, it's a subtle way to dilute it. So that's why it has to be given the right name. The group of Rwandans that were really being, you know, uh, hunted for and that uh, were sought to be exterminated and distinguished. Yeah. were called the Tutsi. Yeah. So that's why, and in 1994, so that's why the official proper name is the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi yeah. in Rwanda. So anyway, Kuibuka helps also make sure that is for the denial, the negationism. And the, yeah. Well, and it seems like it's such an important thing to to show and continue to demonstrate for the younger generation. Mm-hmm. We're here where we are. We, ex- we we are the country we are now of Rwanda, the people that we are, because we placed such a mm-hmm. high value mm-hmm. on relationships and restoration mm-hmm. and reconciliation. And in putting that at the forefront mm. of people's, especially especially the younger generation, who, as you said, will be the next generation of leaders, that will offer that encouragement to that. That is, that should be the lens of which they see things. Yeah, is we sure. can see what can happen yes. when we place this at the forefront, not just on a national level, yes. but on a personal level. Personal, yeah, and and just imagine what can come for a generation that has such a high value mm-hmm. on on those elements on making sure that it's not just about um you know it, 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 trying to get the best or trying to be the but it's about that reconciliation piece yes. it'll be fascinating to see in the next generation to see what happens with with all, uh, as you said a whole generation that was raised up with this messaging mm-hmm. and with the power seeing, you know, of it in, 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 in being told about this importance and to see what happens with the country, you know, with the people from there. I think that'll be fascinating. Yeah. It's just the reverse of what happened uh, that led to genocide. Yeah. The power of a seed. Mm-hmm. It's small, but you plant it. If it's a seed of evil, it will grow into a big thing, a big tree of evil, yeah. and it will be very hard to, you know, to uproot. But ex- you can do the opposite. Plant a seed, you know, of love, yeah. of, you know, patriotism, of uh, a res- mutual respect, a reconciliation, all those. That's the seed that is being planted in this young generation. Mm. And uh, even in those who, you know, who are not that young, but at least we know it will go across generations and you know beyond the current government and mm. Jesus studies. So to bring the conversation then to to 
our listeners' lives right now. Um, in in this country right now, it's you know I think most people would say that there's a lot of division in the country right now. I don't think it's very controversial to say uh, things can seem pretty divisive. If you had the ear of the country, if you if every single person was listening to this podcast right now, <laughs> what could you say to them um, just about the terrible impact that division can have? Yeah, and unfortunately, um, I've heard many stories and incidents of um, yeah of violence, uh, crimes division, hatred, all those kind of things uh, in the United States of America. Uh, yeah, it is sad. Uh, we, we love Americans. Uh, they are part of uh, a group of people God has used and will continue to use to impact lives for good and for his glory. Uh, but one word of caution is... Uh, um, regardless of how big, how strong, how wealthy, how resourced a people, a community, a country is, the seed, uh, so anger, hatred, division, unforgiveness, and repentance is just, it's, it can serve as water or fertilize to that seed, mm. that seed of evil, mm. like in incredible ways. Uh, and that will lead to crime, to violence, um, and eventually that could birth something like genocide. Mm -hmm. So what happened in Rwanda in terms of the genocide can easily happen here. Just a matter of time if people keep really watering and providing a conducive environment mm. for seed of evil through you know, failure to reconcile to repent, to you know, to live in mutually respective ways, love one another. So I would say, Americans, please take relationships very serious. Mm -hmm. um, do not, even at individual level, we you know we talked of Rwanda. You know, the government can do so much, but at the end of the day, a nation is a. It's a group of people from individual level, family level. So at individual level, please be one of those who say no to growing this seed of hatred and anger and division. Do your part. Mm -hmm. Treat your neighbor the way you would like to be treated. Mm -hmm. If they've wronged you, please find forgiveness in your heart. Um, regardless of whichever religious background you are, um, I would offer, you know, the greatest power of personal experience, the power of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not religious, it's relationship with him. Yeah. Just call upon him very in a simple way. Give me the strength. Please rule, be the Lord of my life. Give me the power to forgive this person who has offended me. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your relative, maybe sure. it's your leader, maybe it's somewhere. So if each one does that, and uh, whoever offends the other also reaches out by the power again uh, you know, of, of Christ, and by just looking at the big picture, trying to avoid to be an agent of division and destroying the country, they would also reach out for repentance, seeking repentance. So that lifestyle, that will preserve America and they will 
rebuild America, we reunite Americans, and uh, we'll provide an environment where every complicated, difficult relational issues at political level, given the past, ethnical level, whatever level, family, that they will be healing. Yeah. They will be healing. And America will continue to impact and to be agent of great things happening around and uh, in remote places in the world. He's a key player. Yeah. Uh, that's why that relationship between the great commandment and what we see from like the parable of the Good Samaritan is so important because Jesus is asked directly, mm. right? Yeah. You say to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And Jesus's response is with the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. But the heart of the story is that anybody is your neighbor, mm. not just the people who are like you, mm. not just the people who are <laughs> ethnically or culturally or racially or um, politically or whatever it is like you, but anybody who's anybody, yes. anybody, anybody is who your has neighbor. In Every, exactly. By <laughs> and so when we take that and we tie it to the great commandment that you were called to love your neighbor as yourself, that's that reminder that we need to keep keep going with that that we need to keep Amen. keep that reminder of yes. we are called yes to love everybody unconditionally unconditionally just like we loved unconditionally and it doesn't say it, it doesn't make excuses of people who you know of love your neighbor as yourself except for those who have committed harms against you no it doesn't say that it doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself, but only if they agree with you politically or religiously or think you know. No, it's just everybody. And by the way, to clarify, we're not saying that uh, uh, we uh, we are ignoring that uh, people can be offended or sure. offend others. We're saying to love, to reconcile, mm-hmm. to repent, to forgive, but we are not. Saying you can, you have to necessarily trust yes. the person. That's another step. Yes, but to love, to forgive, to reconcile, to that is unconditional. Yeah, y- you have the power to give that, to offer that, but uh, you also have the right to withhold your trust until that is rebuilt. Yes, because if someone has offended you, mm-hmm. has uh, committed a violence and crime against you. So the, one of the natural responses is, uh, can I trust this person again? Of course. But please release those people and live at peace with you. And uh, don't keep holding them in your life, in your mind. It will just stop you. And again, our Lord Jesus is a great model. You remember his words uh, when he said, a house divided, a kingdom divided mm-hmm. um, against itself, it will be ruined. Yeah. And a house divided against itself, it will fail. Yeah. So that is what can happen to America if the people dis- do not you know, unite, reconcile, and live together. Because however powerful and uh, impactful and influential America is today, the more divided Americans would be, the more the kingdom of America would be yeah. really ruined and the, the families would, be, would fail. And that is something we do not want. We can never wish for America. But the good news is 
it's not too late. <laughs> you can change the trajectory of where things are headed. Yeah. America can be really an impactful and influential nation for this come. So for anybody who is listening right now who may be dealing with some relational issues in their life, they somebody harmed them, there was a a, a gross misunderstanding or whatever it is. There's there's a infinite number of possible relational issues for anybody who's struggling with that and is what can you say to them just kind of some last words as, as we wrap up this episode is there something that you can you can encourage or say to somebody who is struggling with that right now as they seek reconciliation in their own lives yeah uh it's all you know again building on our conversation mm -hmm. what we said earlier um, I would say, I in summary, someone should embrace reconciliation as their lifestyle. Mm. Um, make it a practice. Make it a daily habit, day to day, moment by moment, mm. like we breathe in and out. You know, life's about relationships. Um, um, that's all life is about. So yeah. for for believers, it's even. Uh, the heart of the gospel reconciliation. Remember, mm -hmm. uh, we 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 offended God. Yeah. He came to us and to seek reconciliation. Mm -hmm. He had all the reason to stay there and uh, just punish us. Greatest model of reconciliation. So mm. God did that, and then we killed His Son. Yeah. And His Son, when He was dying, He forgave us mm -hmm. and gave us a chance to have our sin forgiven, a purpose to live for, and a home in heaven, mm. eternity in heaven, a good place. So for believers, like it's even a command yeah. based on the model we're given. For any person, just embrace it as a lifestyle. There is no other shortcut. It's tough, yeah. but it's worth it. The long-term benefits are there. It is painful to ask for forgiveness. It is painful <laughs> to forgive. But guess what? Just like when you've broken your leg, that physical therapy session is painful, but you go through it and eventually you get your range of motion back. Yeah. Those bitter pills, we take them because we want to get healed from whatever disease. This one is even more important than that. Mm. For here, even for eternity. So I think let's embrace reconciliation. Mm. That's the lifestyle. I love Reaching it. out for forgiveness whenever we um, we offend, and offering uh, forgiveness whenever we are offended. The more we practice this daily, it will become like a muscle that keeps getting trained and then gets used, gets stronger, mm. and then we'll overcome relational barriers yeah. and things. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. Thank you so much for all that you're doing for Saddleback and for the countries of Africa specifically. I just, I, it's, I, I, I always love hearing updates on what's going on with the initiatives out there. And, uh, yeah. and thank you for sharing and spreading this message of reconciliation and forgiveness. Love it. And uh, for, <laughs> friends, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I know I know, I sure did. And uh, um, we love you. And we will be back with uh, another episode next Tuesday. 
If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Mm